more and more people are choosing natural and holistic medicine because of the real and sustainable results achieved. A Patient Story discusses the healing journey that real people have experienced and how it has changed their lives. Today I'll be talking to Genevieve Molotkowski and to her client Amanda, who is the mother of young Frankie. Welcome guys, how are you? Great, thanks. When Frankie was very little, he was diagnosed with a stage four neuroblastoma. So for those of you that don't know what a neuroblastoma is, it's a type of cancer that grows in the cells of the body's nerves, which are called neuroblasts. And 90% of all neuroblastoma diagnoses happen in children under five, often affects their adrenal glands, or it can affect other sites, spinal cord, neck, chest, abdomen, pelvis. Amanda, how did you know that there was something that was going on with Frankie? Well, he hadn't been well for probably, I'd say maybe three months, but it was things that like that could be written off as so many other things. He was complaining of neck pain. So we took him to the physio and she said, do these exercises and change his pillow. And we'd been away camping on a holiday up in Yamba um, in November. So it was quite hot, but he'd just been very lethargic, hadn't been well. And we just thought, you know, maybe you need an ice block because you've been running around too much. Um, he was complaining of abdominal pains, but we were trying to potty train him because he was going to preschool next year. So he was just about to turn three in the November and was diagnosed in the January of 2019. So just things that didn't really stand out, but he just hadn't been well looking back now. Obviously, we, you know, figured out what it was, but at the time we just, he just hadn't been well. How did you eventually get to the diagnosis? So it was actually completely accidental. We had taken him for abdominal x-ray. We thought he may have swallowed a coin in the night or a car tire or something. And we just thought, look, he hasn't been well, rushed him up to the hospital. We said, I think he may have swallowed something. They did a urine test. They did an x-ray and they actually found the mass from on the x-ray. And where was the mass? It was growing from his adrenal gland. It was 11 centimetres big, which is pretty big in a tiny three-year-old's body. Most of them do start in the adrenal glands, yeah. Yeah. It's a daunting thought to have your child diagnosed with any serious condition. How did you first respond and how did you cope? I mean, I don't know necessarily if I remember so much about those very, very early days. I have a few memories, but a family member will say, remember this, remember this? And I'll be like, I have no idea. So I think I just was in survival mode, fight or flight. We were really shocked. You know, you know about pediatric cancers, but you never, ever think it's going to be your kid, right? And did he have any secondaries or was it just in the adrenal glands? Yeah, so he had soft tissue tumour. He did have one in his neck, which would explain the neck pain. He had one encasing the optic nerve in his right eye. So he actually is now blind in his right eye as a direct result of the tumour being suffocating the nerve. He had a couple of soft tissue tumours in the space between his skull and his brain, so not actually on the skull or the brain. And then he had a couple of lumps, I think maybe around the spinal area, but the main solid tissue one was the big one in the adrenal gland. Oh, and sorry, it was in his bones as well. It was in his bones. So he had a fair cancer load going around his body. It was massive. It was absolutely massive. It was to the point where the doctors had said, if we don't do treatment ASAP, he'll be gone within sort of six weeks. Oh, geez. What what a thing to hear. That's just panic. Yeah. 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 
So yeah. in, in the context of all of that and, and the yeah. part that kind of amazes me is mm. that very soon after you got the diagnosis, and I think it was next day, yeah. you went to see Genevieve. Now, choosing holistic yeah. medicine together with mm. medicine is, is you know, especially in such a short period of time, is a big decision. How did you come to that decision so quickly? So I had actually, prior to having Frankie, I was actually undergoing a naturopathy degree. I was about two years in, so I was in that world. I was already, we were taking supplements. We would very rarely go to the doctor. My kids hadn't had antibiotics. Like I was in that world. If I had something wrong, I went to the health food store to talk to them. So to me, it was an immediate no-brainer. What are we getting? Who are we seeing? What are we doing? We started Googling. We started joining Facebook groups. Like we just dove straight in. And is this something you discussed with the oncologist or the pediatrician or the doctor, or did you just do yes. it off your own back? So in our very first meeting where we, after the oncology team had had the scans and had formalized their diagnosis and basically told us the news, I had actually said to them, would you guys be open to doing complementary treatments alongside the basic you know, chemo protocol, and I was immediately shut down. We do not recommend that. It's dangerous. It can, it can, you know, injure your son. It can conflict with medications. Like it was a flat out no, very firm no, and that book was shut. So I was, I was like, okay, got the vibe, get it, and did it anyway. <laughs> I wasn't going to take their answer of don't do it. I was like, well, to me, it's madness if I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know. Which, to me, it makes my- sense. Well, I understand that, and given your background, I understand it. But I still think you're incredibly brave, given all the. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure. Yeah, a lot of pressure, and a lot of the parents that I'd spoken to, because obviously we spent a lot of time on the ward there, um, and I'd said, "Hey, guys, like, do any of you, you know, like, would you be willing to try something different? I've got this naturopath." And the parents, basically, ninety nine percent of the parents all said, "No, we've been told not to. We're going to follow the oncologist's advice," and I respected that. Because yeah. that's everyone's on their own journey. Everyone's but to me, I was like, no way. I'm throwing everything at it. Great. Genevieve, from many years of talking to you, that you've got some experience with supporting patients with cancer. And I know of some of the out- amazing outcomes you've had over that time. Have you supported many children? So just three. And the really interesting thing, or three or four, actually probably four. Well, I guess some of them were older. Some of them, it seems to be... They're very common in the three to five to eight year age. And then 18 is kind of, so I guess they're not technically a child if they're 18. But um, yeah, there was one other child with the same type of cancer who is also now cancer free. So I mean, I always think, like I said to her right at the beginning, great cancer for your child to have because we've had really good outcomes with this. And, you know, so um, I mean, there are definitely better cancers to have mm. um, if you've had a good outcome with a child or an adult who's had a cancer where they're now cancer-free, that's always a great story to tell the family. A child like Frankie comes in, three years old, and fairly advanced cancer, very large primary, secondaries everywhere, high cancer load. How do you start? What do you think about? What's your process? In, you know, what, what's your thinking process around that? I guess my initial thought is like with kids, they hit them really hard. Like with Frankie, the doses, um, the 
like aggression, the way they go about it is so different to adults. And I do a lot of older adults with cancer as well. So sometimes I think the oncologists are a bit cruisy about that because they're like, well, they're older anyway, so we can kind of just take our time. Obviously, cancers in kids grow very aggressively as well, so probably why they go in so aggressively. So we're looking at side effects. We're looking at what are the major side effects of chemo and I guess something that is huge and a reason why a lot of patients have to stop chemo is because of the white cell count, the neutropenia. Mm-hmm. So then they're prone to infection, then they need to be in isolation. And so essentially we want to keep the white cells within a normal range, um, keep those ratios um, nice and healthy. So then he could continue going from round to round of chemo and all the other types of treatment that he did after chemo without a break or too much of a break. So I guess then we could get on top of the cancer as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And yeah, appetite, preventing him from losing weight, liver function. Amanda can probably tell the um, the liver story because, I mean, mm. that was very exciting because um, a lot of patients will, they will stop their cancer treatment or they will kind of give up, I guess, on the patient to some degree when they get certain liver issues. And Amanda was amazing, like the best mum in the world. She actually read every side effect of every yeah. uh, Frankie was prescribed. Mm. And she saw the liver issues like the symptoms starting to develop and told the nurses immediately um so then I guess I knew what to treat based on her research of his particular drugs so yeah yeah. okay and did they also test liver enzymes regularly or were you just going on on symptoms no so every day he would have bloods drawn at the hospital and basically every day they would be monitoring they would say he's something something is higher is something something is low so we were getting regular daily updates of um what his bloods were doing so yeah. he could keep an eye on all of that but it was more the physical symptoms so he had a side effect from his uh double stem cell transplant it was a VOD veno occlusive disease where Basically, it was one day where his urinary output was really low. And this was sort of the thing that triggered my first thing because it was one of the things that I'd read was urinary output. So I was like, he hasn't done many wheeze today. And then over, I think, the course of maybe the next two or three days, he started to get the abdominal bloating and the swelling. And they said, oh, okay, we can see his liver enzymes are, you know, going up, blah, blah, blah. So then I'd seen that uh, it's a drug called defibrotide if it can be administered really early it has very good outcomes so he was on defibrotide pretty early I think like within a day or two of the abdominal kind of like he went a funny color you know like with the liver problems you you go a funny color so it was from a little bit of the bloods but also just obviously noticing him as well he wasn't you know putting out as much weight and he was going a funny color yeah kind of thing I I think it's just so important, and you are amazing, Amanda, because it's so important, and you reminded me of something that we should be telling everyone with every serious disease, is Mm. to have a really active and interest in your family member's condition. It's sometimes hard when it's yourself because Mm. if you're not feeling well and you can't research properly. But if anyone's got a serious condition in your family out there, people, Mm. it's so important that someone takes an active interest in side effects the drugs the disease process itself and i think 
because you become almost the manager of that person. Yeah. You remind all the doctors, you remind all the nurses, you remind all the naturopaths, yeah. and you just get better outcomes if someone's taking, you know, that active control. So well mm. done on that. Thanks. Uh, Genevieve, you were able to understand the side effects from the drugs, and a lot of the side effects seem to have an impact on the liver. What do you do about supporting liver? Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting when Amanda mentioned about the oncologist having a fear of naturopathy. I think mm -hmm. certain naturopaths do specialised levels of training in cancer, so we know what is safe and what isn't safe to give in conjunction with whatever mainstream treatment they're doing. And, I mean, I'm certainly at some stage or another we had him on NAC yeah. to support his liver function. Um, Amanda and her husband and family were doing lots of phenomenal juicing, um, green juices, beetroot, things that were supporting liver function in a food way. And, I mean, certainly were able to get onto things before they became a, a greater issue. So I guess it was treating side effects and issues on at the first sign. And Amanda would let me know if there was something new that happened immediately rather than waiting until the next consult. She would just email me or text me if something new happened or call me. Um, so we were able to get onto things prior to them becoming a greater issue than what they could potentially have been. And then Frankie had less side effects and was able to get through it more smoothly. So um, and we and we didn't even actually, you know how you said sometimes people have to have gaps between their treatment. So the doctor said to us, "Look, you're likely to have to have a week off chemo or, or do this." But Frankie absolutely smashed through. We did not have to have a gap for any treatment. We did back to back chemo. I mean, the oncologists were shocked. They were like, he's the he's the wellest sick kid on the oncology ward. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have he he never dropped too low to get his chemo. He was well enough to start his stem cell. He he didn't even get a nose tube, a nasogastric tube. They said to us on day one, he's gonna have to have a nasogastric tube. Once he and then we got through the chemo and he hadn't lost that 10% of his weight, like they kept saying, when you hit it, when you hit it, that's it, that's it. Anyway, we got all the way through till the end, and it pretty much they said you cannot have immunotherapy if you don't have a nose tube. So we kind of were forced into it because he was so well during treatment. He kept his appetite. He was, you know, being nourished. He was he was being fed. And I think that sort of shocked them as well, that we didn't, we weren't going down the same route that kids usually, like, don't get me wrong, he was very sick. He was not a well kid, but not to the point where it impeded his treatment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You know, weight loss is a very common feature of mm. chemo. You know, it's hard enough in adults, but how do you get a child to eat? I mean, I'm, I I guess Genevieve worked a diet with you, but you had to mm. implement it. So between you, what were the key important facts in creating that sort of diet and getting him to, to be well nourished? Well, I'll just start quickly. We've always been a really healthy eating family. We've always had a very diverse diet. My kids have always eaten well so I think the thing is is that because he was such a well kid to start with we we were getting knocked down from a higher tier as I we saw a lot of other kids on the ward who were fussy eaters and their parents couldn't get them to eat things I mean don't get me wrong his absolute favorite food through the whole of his treatment was hash browns and fish and chips <laughs> so we were just getting that in him and washing it down with an apple juice and you know have some grapes or some watermelon in the afternoon so I think because he 
kept his appetite up so well. And I don't really know if I'm allowed to say this, but we actually had him on cannabis oils very early on in his treatment journey. So that also helped with the nausea, the lack of appetite, those things that go alongside with the chemotherapy. So I think that played a huge role of why he stayed so well during those first really rough days of chemo. And from a dietary point of view, Genevieve, was there? did you have a, um, a, a plan? Well, I mean, they were just phenomenal. So I usually, with my cancer patients, send out a list of all the fruit and veg that have specific actives mm. for cancer. And I think Amanda was constantly juicing smoothies. And, yeah. I mean, the most ridiculous thing is that some of the staff would actually joke and say, oh, ha, 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 you're giving him the green juice as if it's not going to do anything. But beetroot, green juices, the foods that are have specific um, enzymes and actives for cancer are just phenomenal. Yeah, so they were big into doing that for him. And then supplement-wise, we had him on zinc right through. And then, I mean, if mm. we look at the Australian population, 80% of Australians are zinc deficient. You know, if you have a child that is, is does not have cancer but is a fussy eater, perhaps is underweight or, you know, looks a bit on the lean side compared to other family members, doesn't look as robust and healthy as they could, they're probably zinc deficient. And zinc is something... That certainly, you know, most people can benefit from in some way, shape or form, but certainly that would have been a big factor with with keeping his weight up is keeping him on that zinc right through. Agree, so. zinc is so important throughout all, any immune condition, but particularly in cancers. You know, one of the most important things, of course, is the outcome. And this is the exp- exciting mm-hmm. part. I, I'm tempted to do a drum roll, but I don't know how to do it, so <laughs> I won't. But you were told that... Frankie would be on on treatment for three years, I believe, Amanda. But yeah, what happened? Two, two, uh, roughly two years, yeah. Two years, okay. And what happened? Mm-hmm. What? He was done in 18 months We mm-hmm. or less, actually. We started in January of 2019 and he received his last immunotherapy treatment in April of 2020. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just, just, just walk me through that. What happened? You go into the hospital... He's yeah. a pediatric oncologist, presumably. Yeah, yeah. What happened? And then you basically get your diagnosis and then from there. So in Australia, they follow the COG protocol for pediatric cancer, which is pretty much the same for everything. Eight real intensive 80 days of chemo, closely followed by, I think they did the chemotherapy first to shrink his tumour. So he got his main tumour from 11 centimetres down to six. So once he finished chemotherapy, it was surgery to remove the right adrenal gland. And we were really lucky the tumour wasn't growing in on anything, through anything. A lot of oncology, a lot of the um, neuroblastoma kids, it's wrapped around the arterial veins or the heart or the lungs we were really really lucky that his was encased and then the soft tissue tumors behind his eye and his head had also shrunk basically down to nothing but he didn't regain vision back in his eye I'd say it was probably just you know cut off from circulation for a little too long so after surgery I think he had surgery maybe in April and then after that we started um, the stem cell transplant so we had to travel down to Sydney to harvest his healthy stem cells where they filter out everything from the blood, put the stem cells on ice for then after he got two really big, very toxic load doses of chemo in the stem cell transplant. 
Um, the first one was, I can't remember which way he had them, but there was one particular type of chemo where he had to have a bath every six hours, I think, on the dot, like at, like every six hours, day or night, um, had to get washed in this specific wash too. And then the second lot of stem cell chemo that they did, they said, oh, you know, he's probably not going to be well enough, well, but he was. So we got to do the second lot of the stem cell. And that's when I think, so he had, it's go back and fold, but he actually got two side effects from the stem cell. The first one was the veno-occlusive disease and the second one was a pulmonary hemorrhage, which very, very early on we'd spoken to a lung a lung specialist and he'd said, you know, be careful of this particular side effect, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the oncologist said, oh, it'll be fine. You know, he won't get it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he did. And then so that was a few weeks in ICU and then a couple of weeks still back down on the ward, but finished that. And then I think in September, October, we started radiation down at the Children's Hospital at Randwick. And that was, I think, every day for two weeks or something maybe on his abdomen where the original tumour was. They sort of shoot that whole area there. And then after that, we started immunotherapy. So that was every month for I think maybe six months maybe. Yeah, that would have taken us through to April. So had to be up in ICU for that, specially administered. And then after immunotherapy, we start vitamin A therapy. So he took a vitamin A capsule, which pretty much just, I think it kills off any last cancer that's left or stops its growth or something like that. And then that was it. He was done. Clear by, I think, I think he was clear. I think the only little bit of cancer that he had left when he started immunotherapy was the bones, but apparently the bones are the trickiest part to get the cancer, the very last of it out. Um, and then, yeah, got the news in April of 2020 that there was no evidence of disease anywhere, which was amazing. Amazing. And what was mm -hmm. the feedback from the doctors? Were they surprised? I mean, impressed? they just... I mean, I think it's it's a happy outcome when they can finish yeah. off a case and say it was good. But I think the thing I just wanted to say to them, I wanted to be like, by the way, I've been doing this all along, but I kind of just thought like, you guys take it, thank the chemo, do it all that. And I'll just silently sit here being like, do we know which one got rid of the cancer? No. Do I care? No. The fact of the matter is it's gone. Yeah. Genevieve, when you're um, working with a patient with cancer, do you generally have ongoing communication with the oncologist or do you just get shut down as well? Um, I mean, look, if if the patients want me to send a list of all their supplements and some info to the oncologist, I'm happy to do that. But that's very rare that we do mm -hmm. that because, honestly, most people do not tell their oncologist anything that they're doing. Mm -hmm. I feel like as with Amanda and Frankie, they got shut down immediately, don't do it, it's not safe. I guess a lot of people do encounter that experience and so therefore they just do not tell the oncologist anything they're doing. I guess if we could work together, that would be fantastic. I'm never going to give something that's not safe or that's going to stop the medical treatment from having any effects whatsoever. But I guess there is that fear. And one of my mentors actually said to me once, the fear comes from the fact of they don't want to be sued. So if they just say across the board, 
nothing natural safe, then they can't be sued if there is some kind of a side effect from a natural medicine or an interaction. Because I guess, and that fear of being sued is probably a big driver of why they just say across the board, nothing safe. So it's kind of a shame because in the medical journals, there are many articles and studies mm-hmm. supporting the synergistic use of supplements or herbs together with medical treatments for better outcomes for the patients. And I mean, that comes from the medical journals, and for some reason they just don't get uh, picked up. Genevieve, when you work with adults, you talk about emotional drivers or gratitude practice or you know hypnosis or long-term goals. Is any of that adapted to small children? Is there anything I mean, you can t- take into small, I, small children? Yes. Um, Amanda, naturally, like her personality, she's a real optimist. And at no point, well, I think there was like one point all the way through, she believed that Frankie would be well. So I guess she was always giving him positive feedback and like always coming from a place of positivity and from a place of we've got this and you're going to come through the other side and you're going to be well. Um, there was one point I think she met someone, Amanda, that you met someone who'd had their child had the same type of cancer as Frankie and unfortunately that child had passed and yeah. um, you were a bit emotional about that, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just said, look, you don't know what that other family was doing. Were they seeing a naturopath? Were they doing mm-hmm. all these other things? You just, we we don't know. And um. Another thing that Amanda did is her faith was really good. So there was a temple, like not a temple, but like a church kind of area at the hospital. And you said to me that every day you go there and you just have your meditation time and you're like, yeah. you know, come on, got this. And and you just like your faith was really mm-hmm. strong that he was always going to come out the other side. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would have then mm-hmm. impacted Frankie because if you see your mum or dad crying all the time or being negative or like letting the cancer win then the child would do that as well so I guess from an optimistic point of view they were like very optimistic in the family lots of family support and um definitely Amanda and her husband and her whole family just all came together and I guess when I say really positive outcomes like theirs it is a real family event and and everyone comes together and it's not you know one parent or the other parent or it's just everyone amanda how do you manifest those sorts of the right sort of vibe in the family to support frankie is there a conscious effort to have discussions with other children and cousins and grandparents and your husband and how do you you know what what's a thought pattern around all of that so we were just straight from the get-go. We weren't trying to cotton wool wrap anything for Frankie. We were using the word cancer. We were being very direct. This is what happened. This is what you've got. We referred to his cancer as a bad guy in his body and the drugs that we and supplements that we were taking were the good guys. So we tried to make him understand, I know this medicine's yucky, but you've got to take it. It's full of the good guys. And we, you know, some people don't like to say the word cancer around those kids. My thing was, I'm just going to lay it out. We bought um some books about kids with cancer as well, some resources so he could understand about his central line and why he's bald. And you know what I mean? Like it kind of just makes it on an age-appropriate level. But my 
husband's family is very, very close. So it was just natural that they were, we actually had um, my two-year-old son at the time, Leo, he would stay with us sometimes at the Ronald McDonald house there because we live on the central coast and John Hunter's about an hour up the freeway. Um, so he would have sleepovers at the family's house and then come back. People were cooking food for us. People were coming to visit us at the Ronald McDonald house. And in terms of keeping my optimism, I just, it's like, I just had this feeling inside that I just, I couldn't actually imagine in my mind him not coming out the other end it was like just this weird knowing and then I would kid myself and be like am I optimistically crazy am I but then we had a few little I call them whispers from the universe so I used to donate to an animal charity and during that Christmas period my card had declined and one of the representatives had called me and said you know, I'm just trying to catch up and, you know, if you'd like to continue donating. And I just said, look, right now I'm really in the thick of it. I just, I can't anyway. So I explained what had happened. And this particular caller, she said, my day job is I'm a pediatric oncology nurse. And she said, the families that I have come across, I know, weird, right? I've got chills thinking about it. The families that I've seen through my career that have remained the most positive and the most optimistic had better outcomes. And that just stuck with me. I thought of all the people to call me, it had to be that nurse, that day job. You know what I mean? It was just like a little confirmation from the universe. You're on the right track. You know what I mean? And it was just these, a couple of little situational things like that. I just thought things just felt right. And I and I, I don't know, I just had, and yeah, Genevieve's right. There was a few really bad moments there where I was really low and I thought, oh my God, is this it? Like, are we going to make it after all? And she really just kind of like helped pick me back up. And, you know, my husband and I leaned on each other a lot during that time as well. And, you know, just you know, we'd have our bad days, but then we would just be like, look, that's that's not our journey. Our, everyone is on their own journey and that's not what's in, in store for us. Uh, Frankie got his all clear prognosis. So three years yeah. ago, roughly. Yep. How, yep. how How is he now? How's the family He's now? Great. We've gone on to have two more kids since oh. then. We have just, we really live life to the fullest in terms of, you know, we always try and sneak away and go on family holidays. We're always doing fun things with our kids. We're always just living. It's like we've kind of looked at this cancer diagnosis in a weird way as a gift of what's the good that has come from this. Like since Frankie's diagnosis, I can't even tell you how many people I've referred on to Genevieve. People will come to me and have a problem. I'm like, I've got a lady. You need to see her. So my best friend's mother actually um, has just finished her cancer riddled with lung cancer and first thing we did, straight to Genevieve. So I'm looking at all these positive things that have come from such a negative thing that happened to us. And I'm just thinking like, I guess it was given to us for a reason because of what we've been able to achieve and help and, you know, refer on from being in this journey ourselves. Yeah. What a wonderful outlook. Thank you. Hey, uh, Genevieve, you talked about giving Frankie zinc and presumably Mm -hmm. that's standard treatment for many cancer patients. Did you use any other supplements or herbs? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we used the um the RBAC, which is a shiitake extract that's been um created uh, by a Japanese company in Japan. And actually, um, um, you brought them to out to Australia, and I got to meet them. And I actually brought <laughs> one of my cancer patients 
to the house that day to meet them because I thought, well, you know, these guys are phenomenal researchers and they've got this incredible product that, you know, has helped so many people. And even some of the studies on, I say, this this particular extract, um, the RBAC, is that people who don't respond to chemotherapy then take this product and respond really well. So, like, some people are on a really big dose, like, Frankie was on and off a really big dose of that particular product. And then this like family member, your like is your your cousin's mum, who I'm seeing at the moment, she was on like six sachets a day. Um, yeah. and she's now at the point where she's so well that mm. she did get a side effect from the treatment. But they said even if she didn't have that side effect, they wouldn't even be treating her right now because the cancer is so small, mm. the meds are so small. Um, and she, like, people can't even believe she's still alive. So she keeps mm-hmm. seeing people and they're like, mm. I can't even believe you're still alive. So really good outcomes, you know, lots of B vitamins. Um, the hospital did do supplements as well. They had Frankie on Lugol's during the radiotherapy because obviously radiotherapy can cause a lot of side effects, but it um, strips the body of iodine. So yes. um, the hospital actually had him on Lugol's. So then we mm. kept him on Lugol's. For some time after that, for the high dose iodine, which is, you know, in a natural Japanese diet, they would be getting these mega doses of iodine based on all the seaweed they're consuming. But in our diet, we don't have seaweed for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So um, we generally, Australians, um, about 50% Australians are iodine deficient. Well, I'm sure we had him on vitamin A after he finished the vitamin A therapy. Yeah. We wanted to do stuff. So stuff that the doctors um, and oncologists did that were supplemental, then we thought, well, how fantastic is this? We'll continue this with him for a bit longer just to get, like, bump up those doses of whatever particular nutrients they did have him on. Well after the oncology team had stopped the supplements, we just kept them going kind of thing. So, yeah, there was lots of bits and pieces that we had him on and he was phenomenal with taking stuff, I think, you were sneaking it into the juices or oh my god yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So we would bribe him we would be like all right if you have this i'll let you have like an ice cream from the freezer like we were like get it in any way we can reward system yeah <laughs> bit of creativity okay well guys what an amazing story and what an amazing outcome and i'm just so happy i love these stories they yeah, there's such feel goods, and and we need lots of feel goods, so that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Genevieve. How do people get in touch with you? They can look up my website, which is getwellwithgen.com, and Gen is spelt G-E-N, just to confuse people. And um, yeah, so I love seeing cancer people, but the best outcomes with cancer is as Amanda did the day after. Um, they got the official diagnosis was the first day we started supportive treatment with alongside his medical treatment. And so, yeah, ideally in a perfect world, if everyone could see a naturopath who specialises in cancer at the first sign of cancer, rather than I do see people end stage, which obviously we are just supporting them with symptoms, quality of life, breathing, that kind of thing, pain relief. Yeah, in a perfect world, if they could come right from the get-go rather than doing medical treatment for a couple of years and then the outcomes aren't great and then they come when things are quite aggressive. So, yeah. 
Jen, that is so well said and so true and reflects the opinion of many practitioners who look at cancer as well. So thank you so much. And the website is getwellwithgen.com. Amanda, once again, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I, you know, if we can make a difference, just a couple of kids from your story, uh, yeah. our attitudes towards working together with medicine, that's just that's mm-hmm. just a win for everyone. So thank you so much and really appreciate it. Thank you. No worries. Okay. Thanks. Bye. If you feel that this story could be of benefit to you or someone you know, please like it and share it. If you have a health story yourself and feel that sharing it might make a difference to another person, please head over to our website, apatientstory.com. We would love to hear from you. And as a reminder, in this podcast and on our website, the information provided relates to the specific health requirements of an individual and may not relate to your health circumstances or that of another person. Please do not make any changes to your treatment without consulting your health professional. Thank you. Thank you.